Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Connecting to the big show. In three, two, one. I just think it's enticement. It's not rocket science. It can be done. I truly believe it can. It's wanton destruction. It's also illegal. We're the one for Cork and ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The lines are live. Let's kickstart. The conversation. This is the opinion line with PJ Coogan on Cork's 96 FM. I would very much like to know what you think about the possibility of another two-week, or maybe more, but definitely two-week delay to the reopening of indoor dining. We'll explore it in a while. But it looks inevitable now at this stage. Loads of meetings happening today. Taoiseach to probably make an announcement tomorrow. Um, realistically, it will almost certainly be delayed until at least the 19th, where it'll coincide with the start of international travel. Worst case scenario, I suppose, from a business point of view, if you're running a business, was the rumour over the weekend that it could be put back until after the August weekend. There's no sign in the newspapers this morning of that happening, but certainly it could be put back for a couple of weeks. I want to explore it a little bit later on. I'd also like to know what you think at 1850-715-996. But before we get to that, I watched last night... Um, I got uh, a special access, as you can do if you're a member of the media, I got special access to the uh, Sophie Tosca and Duplantier series on Netflix. And I watched the first episode last night. Very impressed with it, I have to say. Different angle to the case than the Murder at the Cottage one, uh, Jim Sheridan's one that I watched last week. Different angle to the case. We're learning a lot more about Sophie, particularly in episode one of the uh, Netflix documentary. But I wanted to start off with that story this morning because it's been very busy over the weekend. Uh, Friday evening, we heard that Ian Bailey had written to the Garda Commissioner, to the Taoiseach and to the DPP, asking them all to take another look at the case. We learned Friday evening that the Commissioner, Drew Harris, was to consider that request. He hasn't committed to anything, but that he was to consider 
that request. Ian Bailey, who's on Twitter, by the way, uh, took to Twitter Friday evening to express how delighted he was by this. But in actual fact, the commissioner has, hasn't committed to anything. He's just agreed to, to look at it or agreed to consider the request, shall we say. Uh, there was reports as well over the weekend of a DNA sample that wasn't ever considered before. Uh, that was floating around the, the newspapers. And then, speaking of the Netflix documentary, we read in our newspapers that Ian Bailey had written to Netflix demanding that his interview be removed. Now, in the first episode that I watched last night, he is in there in an interview. So, assuming that attempt uh, to... Uh, tell Netflix to take the internet. It doesn't appear to have worked. They're legal people anyway. Lightbox, the production company, say that they're satisfied that they have all the relevant rights to use Ian Ian Bailey's interview. And then, do you remember last week I was talking to Jim Sheridan? We had quite a long interview with Jim. And at one point I asked Jim, did he think that there was more to come? Do you ever think we will really know what happened that night nearly 25 years ago? I wouldn't keep going if I didn't think that. I could be wrong. Um, I think that if you wanted to convict Dean Bailey of the crime, the best way to do it would be to allow into your mind the fact that he may not have committed it. The minute you're on, he had to commit it to make sense. You can't investigate it fully. It's just not possible. So you're kind of on a proving your thesis as opposed to looking at facts. And that's the difficulty that surrounded this case. That, you know, nobody has... Well, first of all, there's only one half of the story, which is the Irish half. And it's the French half I am now interested in to try and end the pain for the family. That's Mm -hmm. kind of where my head is at. Now, we broadcast that interview Thursday. We had recorded it earlier in the week. We broadcast it Thursday. The Independent then told us at the weekend that Jim Sheridan had made a statement to Gardaí, which is an interesting development, and that Gardaí are now investigating new information passed on by Jim Sheridan, and it came to him through Marie Farrell. Let us catch up with a man who wrote a book about this a number of years ago, uh, Ralph Regal, Southern Correspondent with the Irish Independent. Ralph, good morning. Good morning, PJ. An eventful weekend, to say the very, very least. Yeah, I think it was inevitable in many ways, PJ, that given the, the, the pretty intense spotlight on the case in terms of the fact that you had a book published last month, uh, there's a book coming, another book coming in France. There is, I think there's talk about a, a, another book in in English coming, possibly in the future. There's an update to the West Cork podcast being talked about. And then, of course, you have the Netflix um, documentary, which is going to stream, I think, from Wednesday for, for most people. I know a lot of people within the media have, have seen um, preview, um, you know, full access to it a couple of days early. So I'm not surprised that there's a lot of um, interest in it. Some things I am surprised at, uh, the claims of new information, you know, where exactly that goes is another question. But certainly, the, it really began to kind of ramp up from about Thursday when, as you say, and we knew that Ian Bailey had written um, about a fortnight ago, three weeks ago, to the Taoiseach, to Drew Harris, the Commissioner of the Garda Síochána, mm. and to the Department of Justice, the DPP, calling for a review. 
And there was a lot of surprise when he was tweeting that, welcoming the fact that the review had been granted. So, of course, I was on straight away to the guard to say, well, look, what is the position with this? And it took some time for them to come back, but they did come back late on Friday evening to say, actually, we can confirm that there has been correspondence between mm. the commissioner and Mr. Bailey. Commissioner hasn't agreed to anything, though, no. Exactly. In other words, that, he, that, that review has not been committed to. And what I thought was the most interesting part of the phrase was, at this time. And my understanding is that the commissioner is going to wait and see exactly what comes or shakes free over the next week or two in public response to the coverage on the case. And it was very interesting to note what Superintendent Ronan Kennelly down in in, in Bantry, who is, of course, the officer responsible for this investigation at, at the moment, and what he said was that it's an open, it's an active, it's a live investigation, and they will consider any piece of new information that the public might come across or anything that comes their way, they will look at it in light of the ongoing investigation. And as you mentioned, one element of that is what emerged in a colleague of mine, Maeve Sheehan, in the Sunday Independent had was that apparently some of the the statements from Marie Farrell are contain what some people see as new information. And that, now, Jim Sheridan wouldn't confirm precisely what was involved. Mm -hmm. Uh, Marie Farrell has not commented on it, but the understanding is that it relates to the identification of the individual that Marie Farrell saw outside her shop. And to fill in the blanks for your listeners who may not realise the the, the significance of this, uh, Marie Farrell was a crucial part of the original Garda investigation because Marie Farrell um, said she saw a a, a figure wearing a dark coat, a black-type coat, uh, at Cale Sotta Bridge in the early hours of the morning on the night of the murder. And the guards thought that was a critical piece of information because they believed she may have seen the killer. Mm -hmm. There was a lot of emphasis on the fact that during the 2003 um, defamation action, Ian Bailey had sued eight Irish and UK newspapers for defamation, claiming that they had branded him as the killer. And in that, Marie Farrell came to be known as the star witness because she said, number one, uh, that she was afraid of Ian Bailey, that Ian Bailey had tried to get her to retract statements to the Gardaí and she more or less said that Ian Bailey was the individual that that she had seen. Yes. And also outside her shop because she had said that the same individual had been outside her premises at a time, I think it was a day or two before the murder, at a time when Sophie was actually in the premises. So the suggestion was that this individual either had met Sophie or worse still may even have been shadowing Sophie during her visit. Now, of course, Marie Farrell later retracted all of that, all of those statements in 2005. She said that she had been put under duress by the Guardi to make those statements. And what appears now is that the understanding is that she believes that she can identify the individual outside her Mm -hmm. shop from a photograph that she had seen online. Yeah, and that's that's the extent of where we are with it right now. And I suppose it's important, Ralph, to point out that, you know, Ian Bailey has always and continues to deny any involvement in the murder of Sophie Tusk and Duplantia. And it's always important to point that out. You sat down then and you, you wrote a book about it a number of years ago because you wanted to lay it out clearly and distinctly, that book called A Dream of Death. Over the weekend, Ralph, I saw on social media an amount of negativity about all the fascination with the case with regards to the new books, the new documentaries, all of this. Negativity about the fascination with the case. But I think you yourself 
have an understanding, Ralph, of why people are so fascinated by this particular case? Yeah, I, I think the, the number one reason, PJ, is because it's unsolved and because justice has not been served. And there was an article written a couple of weeks ago, which I thought raised some very interesting points. And it, it almost called it as if that, that Sophie's death had become like a mini media industry in terms of the, the newspapers, radio, television, documentaries, books being published. And I can understand that. And I can also understand how some people maybe feel a little bit uncomfortable by yeah. that. I think the point is being made that there are many other unsolved murders out there. Yes, there are. And it's it's absolutely no justification of the fact that there isn't a level of interest in those crimes. But I think if you, if you j- just take for a moment this particular case, I mean, the Guardian view the fact that ongoing publicity is hugely helpful because it gives them a chance that it might just shake free that little piece of information mm-hmm. that could solve the crime. I think it's also worth pointing out that Sophie's family have been very supportive of the vast majority of the publicity because they feel it keeps the case in the spotlight, it keeps the focus on the Garda investigation, and again, it just might help deliver that little piece of information that'll help the Garda. And mm-hmm. I mean, whatever about the issues with the original Garda investigation, the guards never really got a break. They never got that little, the, 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 the sighting, that piece of information, that p- piece of forensic evidence, mm-hmm. that oftentimes a lot of these investigations they would be unsolved but for that one crucial mm-hmm. piece of mm-hmm. information which unlocks everything else. It's, and it's course, when they're always issuing an appeal, they always say, we've all, when we've all heard Senior Gardaí say it over the years, Ralph, it may seem, it may seem like nothing to you, but to yes. us it could be the key. Yes, and, and the point is, you know, don't make a decision that, actually, look, this is meaningless or this doesn't mean anything. I'll let the Gardaí decide that because while you may not understand the full significance of that little piece of information, but that little piece of information could help mm. trigger four or five other pieces of information and link them, or, or it may contradict a key element of the case that is blocking, um, the, the, you know, the guard access to information or whatever like that. So, again, it, it's it's balancing the two halves, and I can understand. Listen, there's lots of unsolved cases out there and you can see that people involved in those cases are going well why is there so much focus on this this incident i mean it'll be 25 years in december since since sophie was battered to death and it's a long time and there's a lot of cases in ireland since then that are unsolved and it is a significant anniversary which is going to generate interest anyway in the first place yeah, there's going to be, I mean, if people think that it's going to fade from the headlines now because of the documentaries or whatever, it, like, it, it, yeah. I can tell you in December, there's going to be a lot more interest because it is 25 years. The family, I'm sure, will do some type of special memorial or they may travel. I'm, I'm sure, I know Sophie's parents certainly won't be traveling to, mm. to, to Ireland, but that's not to say that her son or her, 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 her uncle may come yeah. and do something to try and again, keep the the, the case in the spotlight. All right, Ralph, thank you as always. That's Ralph Regal, uh, the Southern correspondent of the Irish Independent and author of the book A Dream of Death, which was about the murder of Sophie Toscan Duplantier. Uh, Yeah, that DNA sample information, the the West Cork podcast, which is an incredible piece of work in its own right, that has been updated, and that's where the new DNA sample information has, has come from. 1850 715 996
Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Cork's 96FM's Select Irish. JC Stewart. Hey, I'm JC Stewart. Gonna break Hey, I'm Leah Hart. Can you please take me home? Being a select Irish artist for the month really helped my song Older reach multiple new listeners. Isaac Butler. Hey, I'm Isaac Butler. And I wish I could change the past. Sophie Doyle Ryder. Hi, I'm Sophie Doyle Ryder. They're all select Irish artists. Select Irish on Cork's 96 FM. It was a great platform for me to showcase my music on Irish radio. And you could be next. If you think you've got what it takes to be our featured artist, check out 96fm.ie forward slash select Irish. Call us now, 1850-715-996. On Cork's 96 FM. Before I even begin to discuss the reopening or possible delay of the reopening, you have to do it in the context, I think, that at this point, everybody has a vested interest. Everybody has got a vested interest in their business, in their customers, in everyone. But the only vested interest that we should all have, I would say, jointly as a nation, is in getting everything right and getting open safely and getting people vaccinated and making sure that we don't have to shut down again. And in the papers this morning, there's a big claim being made about we're being the last country in Europe that won't have indoor dining after the 2nd of July. To which I personally attempted to say, well, so what? It's not a competition. But I can also see how people are getting very frustrated about this. But there are a number of meetings happening today. Uh, Neffet is to meet and NIAC are both to meet with advice for the government. And then the government... The, they're saying that the COVID committee of government, that's the three leaders, Michael McGrath, uh, Pierce Dun- or, uh, sorry, Pascal Donoghue, and a couple more are to meet tonight. This is the COVID committee will meet tonight. And then we could have a full cabinet meeting tomorrow with an announcement by tomorrow evening on what exactly is happening next Monday, or rather not happening next Monday. It, it looks... Like it's written in 12-foot high letters, though, on the side of the wall of the upper house, shall we say, that no one is opening next Monday. And they'll be put back for about two weeks at least until maybe the 19th of July. Because Eamon Ryan said over the weekend that to have a situation where you could fly to Spain from the 19th of July and you couldn't go for a bit to eat in their local restaurant would be a bit naff. Pretty much what he said. I'm just paraphrasing. So where do we go from here? And I guess, look, it's another worrisome time for the sector, for the publicans, for the restaurateurs and all that. Michael O'Donovan, Chair of the VHI, VFI here in Cork. Michael, uh, good to have you back again on the programme. Worrying times, but I guess safety first. Yeah, PJ, <clears throat> PJ look, absolutely. Um, public health is always the paramount. We've always had that mantra. Um, and look, I suppose safety of our staff, of ourselves and our customers are um, of the utmost for all of us in, in, in this business. Um, and look, we want to get open as soon as possible, but as safe as possible, as you've said. And I think, uh, look, doing Zoom meetings with members and talking to a lot of members here in Cork City and Cork County over the weekend, the one thing that has been very much loud and clear from them all is um, if we have to stay closed for another two weeks, look, while it's not great, we will do it. Um, but the one thing is we cannot afford again to open our businesses, say, next Monday and to be closed in two weeks' time. So we would rather now stay closed for two weeks 
um, and wait until the 19th, hopefully get the green light on the 19th and reopen safely on the 19th. Sounds to me like you're kind of accepting it now as inevitable, Michael. Look, I suppose the mood music has changed very much since last Thursday, PJ. We were very much hopeful that we were opening today, but yes, look, all the leaks, everything that's coming out, um, I suppose conversations with TDs over the weekend, they are all painting the picture to us that um, that it is um, that we are going to get a delay. Look, hopefully it will just be a two-week delay. Um, the worrying thing is some of them are using the words minimum two-week delay. Um, look, as, as Eamon Ryan did say yesterday, it will be very frustrating on the 19th of July if we're sitting here still with our premises closed and I can go up to Cork Airport, hop on a plane and go to somewhere in Europe and have food and drink indoors. Um, because, look, I don't think this... I'm not a... I'm not a scientist, but like I, I would be thinking that the, the variant isn't different in Ireland to what's in Europe. So what data will they have differently mm. to what data we have? So look, where we're sitting right now, I think we're all resigned to the fact, yes, that we will be delayed. Um, but hopefully it, it will be a minimum two weeks. And look, we'll accept it. We'll have to move on as difficult and all as it is. But look, if it's for the public health um, betterment, then look, let's go with it. Mm. Do the two weeks and please God get us open on the 19th of July. Some people were suggesting, I saw a few people on social media at the weekend saying, ah sure, to hell with it, if we open up, sure they can't close us all down. That's absolute nonsense and needs to be talked back down because what will happen is the guys will object to your licence next time out and you're goosed. Yeah, look, it is PJ, I think uh, last April, May, I used to have those conversations on social media and I've just given up because it gets very frustrating. Look, people have to understand, we, we have a licence at the gift of the government uh, and like we have to go to court every September to renew our licence. If I go to court in September and I have proved I am not deemed fit as a publican, if I go against public health guidelines, if I go against the law of the land, the Gardaí will object to my licence and when the Gardaí object to your licence, um, it's very hard to get that licence back and like that would be my livelihood gone. So people say open en masse, open to get they can't do anything to you mm. it's very easy for the Gardaí just to write a list of pubs that have opened that are breaking the law and the judge will just you know take our licenses mm. from us so nobody wants to get to that situation so we are caught between a rock and a hard place but look we've always said public health is the paramount for as I've said and any thoughts Michael because it's coming in again I knew it would uh, that's why I didn't mention it in the start why can't the restaurants open and the pubs I suppose to those who are fully vaccinated if you're fully vaccinated surely you should be able to go in and eat and drink indoors the only way to do it I guess would be to bring your little card and say I'm fully vaccinated is there any support among your members for that it, not really, PJ, because how are we supposed to police it? You know, yes, bring your card, but look, we've seen that, tar- you know, look, we police the, the, the age card for, you know, the 18-year-olds and over or 21-year-olds, whichever you police for your bar. That's difficult enough to police. So imagine trying to police it with people making false ones of them within a couple of days because it would happen, it you would know. Happen. The, it would and, indeed happen. and like, how are we supposed to know then which is the legitimate, which isn't? And we'd mm. be put in a position, and again, it would go back if we had people in the premises and the guards came in and it was deemed to be a false 
um, card, who's to blame then? Like, we'd be the ones that would be stuck at the end of the line going to court and proving it. Yeah. So there isn't really much support among the, the publicans for that idea either. Thank you very much, Michael Donovan, Cork Chair of the Vintners Federation. Almost inevitable to be putting it back for two weeks. The idea that fully vaccinated people could go indoors and people who are not vaccinated or only have had one shot but be outdoors, it sounds lovely on paper, it reads well on paper, but it couldn't happen. It couldn't really happen. It's not doable, unfortunately. Not at the moment, anyway. Um, at about quarter to ten, I will be talking to Dr. Nula O'Connor. She's a GP here in Cork, but she's also the COVID-19 lead for the Irish College of General Practitioners to find out what the medical profession is thinking. But it looks almost inevitable. The other thing that NIAC is doing, and look, it's faffing around a lot, to be honest, trying to decide whether we can use all of that spare AstraZeneca that will be left over once the 400-odd thousand people waiting on their second, which is ridiculous anyway, once that that's sorted out, there will be... I think they said about four or 500,000 doses of AstraZeneca arriving in the country. At the moment, they just go into a fridge and sit there. And there's a few hundred thousand doses of Johnson & Johnson coming. And at the moment, they just go into a fridge and sit there. Could they not be used for younger people? NIAC is faffing about, but at least it's thinking about that. Now, if you think that we have it rough, okay, let's not... Let's not get stuck down that particular rabbit hole either. Because in South Africa, they have a very serious problem at the moment. And from today, all gatherings prohibited. There is a curfew from 9pm to 4am. We never had that. We never had a curfew in this country. And the sale of alcohol completely banned. We never had that here. Schools will close from Wednesday Beaches will stay open. Restaurants are back to takeaway and delivery. So they're going backwards in South Africa. We don't want to be there. We don't want that to happen. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Cork's 96FM's free speaker frenzy is happening here. Play Quartz 96FM. I never felt this good. We've got loads of cool new smart speakers to give away every day. Join Casey and Ross in the morning and stay with us all day long for your chance to win. Win. Listen for the cue to text or WhatsApp. If we call you back, repeat the phrase. Play Quartz 96 FM. To win a smart speaker. You want it? I never felt this good. Cork's 96FM's free speaker frenzy. With Blackpool fully opened up, it's great to be back. See blackpool.ie. Hello? Hello? Stay listening to win and remember to say... Play Quartz 96FM. 96FM. Yeah, Kevin makes the point, and I took the umphala out for a bit of fish and chips uh, Friday evening, and we left lovely open-air table. It was great. We had a little umbrella over us, and it was a nice enough evening. You'd need your jacket, but it was a nice enough evening, and we had a lovely evening out. But I was just looking around me at the lovely, young, cheerful staff, really cheerful, really helpful staff, and, and realising none of them, are vaccinated. Kevin makes the point, what about the staff who are probably waiting for their very first vaccine? Those are the kind of people that NIAC needs to look after with this meeting today. Because none of the staff that are serving you, and if you're thinking, oh, I'm fully vaccinated, I can go inside in the pub. But, yeah, that's fine for you. But none of the, the young staff inside, they're not vaccinated. 
None of them, very few of them anyway, unless they came under one of the special cohorts. None of them are vaccinated. Why can't the restaurants be open to those who are fully vaccinated? If you are fully vaccinated, surely you should be able to go eat, eat and drink indoors. Pro-vaccine and all as I am, caller, I'd have a problem with that. I'd have a problem, a little bit of a problem with that, particularly when the young staff aren't vaccinated. You know something we haven't talked about on the programme in a while? is long COVID. And it's out there. They reckon now there were 2 million cases of long COVID in England alone. And we've got quite a number of them here. I spoke to, to Lillian back in January when she was just getting over the worst of a bad bout of COVID. And I think long COVID has, has set in. Has it, Lillian? Good morning to you. Good morning, PJ. Thank you so much for having me on this morning. Delighted. Well, Oh, I can't believe that it was January that I was actually on because the time seems to have uh, just flown. But since then, I suppose, <clears throat> like January that time, I we were talking about, you know, what actually had happened and, you know, the symptoms that I had and I suppose the breathing and the fever and exhaustion and taste and smell. Mm. But since then, um, I, after that, I got shingles and... You know, my taste and smell completely changed from, uh, you know, from not being a savoury person to loving chocolate and, you know, ice cream and changing, you know, from hating tea that I was like Mrs. Doyle. But on the other side, it, that, was, that was OK, you get over that. But the exhaustion was it was absolutely terrible because it was like actually as if you got an anaesthetic and you were so tired. Are you still so, struggling, Lil? Well, do you know something? I'm okay. I'm okay, really. Well, what actually happened going back, I was perfect. I was suffering from that up to April and then May, I was okay. And then it kind of came back again. And um, I I suppose, really, I feel that this tiredness is gone, is gone now because I'm back able to kind of do things and stuff like that. That tiredness is gone. But I suppose two weeks ago, I had, there was a terrible bang in my head. <laughs> I, don't, I was sitting down reading. I heard a terrible bang in my head. So I went to, went to the doctor. Two days later, she said, if you would come immediately, they probably would put me into hospital, but I was fine. But I had a, 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 an MRI. So if there had been anything, they would have called me. Do you know well, that was me? a headache, was it? A severe headache, yeah? It wasn't. It wasn't even a <gasps> headache. It was a huge bang in my head. It was like as if you actually threw a tin on the ground and mm. you know, stamped on it. Right. it and uh, there was a kind of, from then uh, on, there was a sound of like as if you had a laptop and there was a program on working behind it. So the, um, the tiredness is gone. Uh, you know, I feel way better. Um, I do feel that I was being the hero at the beginning, you know, the way I am, you know, get up and forget about it and fight it instead of lying down. That was my attitude, and I think maybe I pushed myself too hard because I felt that if I walked and pushed myself, that I would build my breathing and my 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 immune system. But I think I pushed myself maybe too hard at the beginning, and I'd advise anybody who ever gets it to take the rest and take time out. Do you know? So uh, yeah, I do feel very well. I do feel as if I'm on the other side of it, and I do. But I would think that anybody should really, really be careful because it has been like five months of exhaustion. And like I'm not talking about now getting tired. I'm talking about running to the couch and falling asleep and waking up saying, where the hell am I? 
Yeah. You know, that type of a tiredness. Yeah. yeah. And, um, That's an so overpowering that, form of exhaustion, really. Oh, that, it was just like, yeah. just, it was just the only way that I can explain it that anybody has ever gone down for an operation, got an anaesthetic, you're just gone. Yeah. Out of, you could be in the middle of doing something and you're just gone. Yeah, yeah. Man. Um, so the thing is that I do I, I think it's urgent that people really you know because I, I myself like a lot of people they're just going around and people have said Ash for God's sake should that's gone now and they're they're actually saying that mm. you know for God's sake should it's gone now have you had a vaccine I had one but I still I must go and get the other one I you know I won't say which one it is because of the fact that people would be fearing which oh my God which one was that but I think it was actually after the vaccine that that happened to my head. Right. You know, but you can't say that either. You can't line the two up, you can't, you, you know. Can't it's pure coincidence, you know. You can't really, but um, it's just that I feel that um, that I had shingles straight after that. Then I had um, straight again after that, I had a pain in the end of my my right lung. But when we went in, it was to hospital. It, it was... Um, just a fractured rib from coughing. Crikey. I know, so I had that then. You broke a rib coughing? Yeah. Crikey. Just, I had coughed so much, and it was like I was coughing, and, you know, it was just my breathing wasn't uh, bad that I had to uh, get oxygen, but I had to win, but I got um, steroids. Yes, yes. Which really helped me, do you know? So the thing about it is that we all got it in the house, but the only person that didn't get it was my husband, Tony, mm. you know, Tony. I do. He was, the, he was the only one that didn't get it, but we don't know where it came from because I even still have on the door due to COVID, please, you know, wash your hands. I was saying, was I too clean? Are we washing away the bacteria too much? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You were so careful. I remember talking to you about that back in January. You were so careful, and yet the damn thing got into the house. And that's the problem with this new variant. That's even more likely to do that when, if no matter how careful people are. Lil, I'm glad you're. I'm glad you're making progress. Uh, thanks so much, PJ. You're very kind. Look after yourself. Um, we'll chat again. That's Lillian Courtney, and uh, life coach um, and business director. Eighteen fifty seven one five nine nine six. Long COVID. From what you read about it. Like, it, what this thing seems to do if you get a bad bout of it is it tends to knock your immune system for six for any amount of time. And until such time as you build your immune system back up again, you're prone to anything that's going around, which is an awful predicament in which to find yourself. 1850-715-996. Just, I, I, I will forget this if I don't do it now. And Leanne says, I'd just like to thank the woman who stopped on Friday morning on the straight road when she saw my uncle in trouble. I didn't get her name, but a big thanks. And then Karen was on to say thank you to the lovely guy who spent over 30 minutes of his leisure time changing my punctured tyre under the hot sun in Pilmore on Sunday. He was my nice and shining armour. Pilmore, that's a lovely beach. If I have the right place, that's a lovely beach down in East Cork, not far from Yall. If I have the right place, no doubt if I'm wrong be on to tell me that I'm wrong they love doing that I want to thank my next guest for making time on a very busy day uh, to be with us on the opinion line she's the, the COVID-19 lead with the Irish College of General Practitioners, I speak of Cork GP Dr Nuala O'Connor, Nuala good morning and thanks for being with us 
Good morning, PJ. It does seem inevitable now that they will put it back for two weeks, the reopening of, of indoor dining. The medical viewpoint, if you would. I think now is the time for caution. Ireland has done extremely well, uh, PJ, and uh, we're all aware of this uh, Delta variant uh, that is on the rise, not just in Europe, but around the world. You just look at the headlines. So, you know, um, Portugal, Lisbon has virtually shut down. Uh, Russia is reintroducing restrictions. Italy, the UK, uh, the US, Israel. You know, this is... a variant that's um, 40 to 60 percent more transmissible. Um, so we know what this virus likes. It loves when we're indoors in a crowded, <clears throat> poorly ventilated spaces, and especially when people get animated and they're talking and singing and you know uh, chatting with each other. That that's how how it spreads. Uh, we know that this will spread in households already. It spreads much faster in households than earlier uh, variants. And the problem is, is that we just don't have enough people fully protected with vaccinations. Mm. So vaccination is our ultimate weapon. Uh, at the moment, we're vaccinating uh, at a rate of um, just over 300,000 vaccine doses per week. So another two to three weeks would make a big difference. And in particular, we know that you need the full course of vaccination. So that's two doses of AstraZeneca or Pfizer or Moderna. We know that two doses of any of the vaccines gives you really, really good, over 90% protection against severe disease, hospitalisation and death. Mm-hmm. So we know that um, just when we started to give the accelerated programme for second doses of AstraZeneca, we had nearly 500,000 people of all ages, not just uh, the 60 to 69s, because if you remember a lot of, of frontline healthcare uh, workers uh, uh, would have got AstraZeneca as well. So by the 19th of July, everybody will have been offered their second dose of AstraZeneca mm-hmm. and that's another 500,000 people uh, fully protected with two doses. Mm. So I think it would make um, sense uh, to uh, hold for a couple of weeks so that we don't have to go backwards. Nobody wants to go backwards. Mm. And, and, and all around us, if you take a look across the EU, even though you know there are those who say we're, we're outliers, in actual fact, we're the only ones not going backwards. Yeah, yeah, and uh, we, there's so many things we can do now um, that we couldn't do um, two or three months ago. Uh, that, uh, and it is the summertime, and I know it's Irish summer weather, which isn't always conducive uh, to eating outdoors. Uh, but you know, we, there's a lot that we can do, and uh, it, I think this summer is all about enjoying the summer uh, in a sensible fashion and uh, taking the opportunities uh, to meet up with friends and family, mm. and uh, but to do that in a safe manner uh, until you're fully vaccinated. And we know that the outdoors is, is much safer than mm. being indoors. I made the point earlier on in the hour, Nula, that I was out with my son on... Friday evening we're having a bite to eat and all the staff around me, it just dawned on me, these lovely, young, happy, helpful people, none of them are vaccinated. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And the other thing about uh, the Delta variant is that the symptoms with it can actually be very mild. So it can seem like a like a headache, a mild head cold, uh, almost like hay fever symptoms, which we know we're around at the moment. And so uh, we, there's a couple of key messages. One is really important to get your second dose of vaccine. The second thing is that uh, the, the basic message 
if you have any symptoms at all, please stay at home. Don't go to work. Don't go to that party. Don't go to that meet up with people because the symptoms can be really mild. Stay home, get tested and stay at home until the symptoms have resolved completely. Mm. And the third thing is we all, like we know so much more now about how to protect ourselves. So the importance of the uh, wearing your masks indoors or in a crowded outdoor situation, washing your hands and being respectful and keeping your distance from others. I guess, I you know, I said earlier there, there's just so much that we can do now. And a couple of weeks, we'll reach that critical point where we'll have a lot more people vaccinated. Just over uh, over two thirds of the population have now had a first dose. Um, so we need to get that more closer to maybe 70, 75%. If you look at Iceland, Iceland um, has, has the lowest rates of COVID in Europe, but they've also got the highest rates of vaccination. Mm-hmm. And they've now opened up completely. Yeah. Which is brilliant. Well, well you know, it, it, I think there's a, there's an awful lot to be said. I and mean, you host uh, a webinar weekly for GPs around the country to do with COVID. What's the view of of your members up and down the country, Nula? Are, are they sort of saying, look, for for it makes medical sense to hold on? Absolutely, absolutely. Um, we, we we don't want to go back to the situation that we were in. We've we've had a ninety four percent drop from January's peak in terms of our fourteen day uh, incidence of COVID, and uh, we just need to keep going the way we are. You we were managing to keep the numbers under reasonable control. There was one the numbers jumped up again above 400 at the weekend but back down uh, so hopefully uh, we'll be able to keep them at the current levels and, and then we can stay ahead of the virus and get to that tipping point uh, where we're beginning to win uh, the war against us. Alright, okay, listen, thank you for making time for us this morning I know you get a very busy morning in clinic that's Dr Nuala O'Connor she's the COVID-19 lead at the Irish College of General Practitioners and listen to what she said the doctors up and down the country that she meets on her webinar every single week are saying look, it makes medical sense to hold on Call us as I just dropped an elderly couple to a hotel they had to sit outside and it was chilly despite them both being vaccinated I thought there was I thought there was a vaccine dividend. Through the window, you could see about 10 young people enjoying themselves simply because they'd booked in for the night. I presume most of all may have been unvaccinated. And look, it is something that I know causes... It it just annoys business people that hotels can open and you can book into a hotel and you can stay and you can eat and you can drink inside. And it annoys people that that's happening. But look, in a few more weeks... In a few more weeks, if we if we ha- hold on with this for a few more weeks. And then John, of course, says all the bars should just grow up here and back Paul Trevode. Otherwise, we'll be hostage to every variant. Now, my pal, Mr. Trevode, said at the weekend that he was opening on the 5th of July regardless. Uh, to which my concern for him and for anybody else who does that is, well, you can whistle Dixie for your liquor license when it comes up to be renewed. That's the problem. If you open up a pub and say, well, be damned, I'm opening up, what are you going to do to me? They might do nothing to you next week. They might come in and close you down again. That's fine. But then, when it comes to having your liquor licence renewed, the superintendent will put up the hand inside in court and say, well, judge, in the middle of the pandemic, this publican went ahead or went against public health restrictions. I'm objecting to the return of the licence. What are you going to do then? 1850 715 996.
Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread, 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. We'll be playing Free Speaker Frenzy this hour, so listen out for your cue to call. That's coming. Bernie was back on. You said, don't start me on the mandatory hotel quarantine escapes. I want you to start. Why are none of the radio stations dealing with it? They're the things we should be talking about. Well, Bernie, what I meant by don't get me started is that every bit of this could have been predicted. We've about 70 people, I think, have absconded from mandatory hotel quarantine. I think only about 14 of them have actually been brought back and gone back in. It's a joke. Our mandatory hotel quarantine was half-arsed, half-baked, badly planned. It was only put there to make it look like we were doing something. It is a joke. An absolute joke. We might as well not even have it at all. It's rubbish. It was a waste of time. A waste of money. Absolutely stupid. We're not doing it properly at all. In fact, right now, everybody coming into the country, everybody coming into the country should be going into a hotel. There should be nothing. There should be no green countries at the moment. Unless you're fully vaccinated. If you're fully vaccinated, we let you through. There should be everybody else going into mandatory hotel quarantine. That's where I stand. And we've made a hames of it. Absolute hames of it, Bernie. That's what I'm talking about. Now, I said don't start me. Because that's what you get me going on. It was a joke. I mean, even in Australia, where they've got one of the best mandatory hotel quarantines in the world, they've got problems at the moment. Sydney is in a partial lockdown. And Darwin... Is in a have had a, a two day stay at home order because there are some cases, cases that got through mandatory hotel quarantine. Like they have a problem in Sydney. This is a unique one. The one in Sydney at the moment, which is worrying them, it's very worrying at the moment. Was there was a guy who was driving a limo, bringing people to mandatory quarantine, or driving a cab, bringing people to mandatory quarantine. He himself had turned down a vaccination. He hadn't gone for vaccination, so he picked up the variant from the people in his cab, he brought it home and the rest is history. There's the danger. There is the danger. 1850-715-996. Michael says, two questions. Can someone explain the science of how someone can eat indoors if they stay overnight? Myself and my wife are waiting on our second dose, but our children will be fully vaccinated before we get it. Are we in a higher risk group? It's not science is being used in this pandemic. Well, to be fair, Michael, they have admitted really that there isn't a whole pile of science behind letting the hotels open early. There isn't. There isn't a whole pile of science there. Um, we did think at the start it was down to people being more easily traceable and, and all of that. It's just an unfortunate situation that happened along the way uh, that you can go into a hotel and stay, stay overnight. It occurred to me all... That the wait staff and Princess Street should be vaccinated. They're going from table to table. They're vulnerable. They could be spreaders. You're right. All those lovely young staff that are working so hard with a smile on their face and a cheer in their in, in their approach. And they're lovely. But I mean anywhere I've been, the staff have been just wonderful. But they're not vaccinated. 
they're not vaccinated and they could they could be to be um vulnerable to to picking it up. And then PJ, it's all great talking about this, but none of these vaccines have been tested on young people and what effect it causes. Well you're 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 not right there, let's just say. You're not right there. That's that's just the sign, the sign look, this thing these things have been tested up the wazoo. And yes, they're still being tested. And we're still getting new data. But there's a lot more chance of getting COVID and getting sick than there is of anything happening to you from a vaccine. This is just a fact. Uh, Bernie says, when you're drinking a cup of coffee, you're hardly likely to start singing. I'll have my two vaccines next week, and I think I should be able to drink coffee in the comfort of the indoors. There's a question. I'll throw it out there to you for what it's worth. Like, do you think, for example, that people who are doubly vaccinated should be entitled to go indoors in the pub. And let's say that you can prove it with your card. I have my card at home. We all have our cards at home. From I'm, I'm double vaccinated. Um, the missus and the umfala, she's being finished on Tuesday and he is maybe another week or so to go to his second one. We'll all have our cards then. Should we be able to go into a pub and sit at the counter and say, look, I want a point. There's my card. I want. Is that how would you feel about that? Some people would have a huge objection to that, huge moral objection to that. Other people would say, "Yeah, that we should be entitled to do that." I don't know. There's another one we'll be talking about a bit later on, around half ten, talking about your boss. Is your boss entitled to know that you've been vaccinated before you go back to work? Is your boss entitled to know whether you've been vaccinated or not? Does your boss have a right to know? That's coming up in a while. 1850-715-996. Well, Kevin got in touch with us and sent us some photographs from out the straight road uh, of dumping. It's horrendous stuff, Kevin. Good morning to you. Good morning to you, Peter. You you wanted to talk about it because you think it's getting out of hand entirely. Yeah. um, I I kind of have this, this sort of feeling that there's a blind spot mentally in some people with regard to sort of firing rubbish around the place and uh, anti-social behaviour. And there's a kind of a pattern there. And um, it's, it seems to have been there sort of like for a second last as my grandmother would say, in other words, from the beginning of time. And could I just give you an example? Mm. Um, for example, uh, years ago, when Wilton Shopping Centre was built, there was a grand little tunnel um, that connected uh, a walkway from Glasheen Road, under Sarsfields Road, mm-hmm. to the shopping centre. I know the place, yeah. Yeah, and as a result of antisocial behaviour, that was closed. And uh, we now sort of have the uh, traffic lights and we have to hang about until the green man comes. So antisocial behaviour did that. And um, uh, another example is I was walking by the CIT and uh, a girl there um, was uh, saying, my God, isn't the place very dirty around here? She takes out a sandwich, she unwraps it um, and uh, drops the uh, (laughs) wrapping on the ground. And off she goes into the CIT. And then a long time ago, um, when Lucasade used to be sold in uh, glass bottles, Mm. um, I was looking at a few teenagers as I was cycling along. Credit finished the bottle, threw it up in the air, lands on the ground, smash, bang, thump, wallop. So cyclists and uh, pedestrians are, you know, and dogs and animals like are on the receiving end of that. So... What I'm getting at is, is it get, it, was it always that way or is it getting even worse now? Because, um, you know, out there around uh, the straight road, there are so many places there that are beauty spots. And yeah. they're being 
polluted by, you know, mindless kind of black, what I call blind spot people who don't realise that sort of people coming after them are going to be saying Jesus, like. Well, I'd go so further. I wouldn't say they don't realise, Kevin. I would say they don't care. That is the terrible thing about it, you see. Um, they don't care, and uh, you, you kind of then get something like, for example, years ago, um, I was teaching Kuwaiti students, and they kind of were saying, you know, that they even keep the desert clean, you know. Mm-hmm. And, and one of those said to me, anyway, I said, I was, I was saying to them, what's the difference between your country and ours, and our city and yours, you know? Mm. And one, one, one of the guys, anyway, put up a hand, and he said, you have a beautiful you have a beautiful city, you have beautiful countryside. Um, so why do your people make it so dirty? And I had no answer, and I have no answer now for why. Why are people so absolutely kind of careless? And I was going to say careless and gay, but I mean the, the gay part we can leave out. <laughs> <laughs> I know where you're coming from, but yeah, yeah. just they're they're so careless. They don't seem to care. Well, we've we've taken calls here Monday after Monday about litter left on beaches and litter left here and your photographs of just random dumping of stuff. You finish your sandwich and you just throw the wrapper into the ditch and it's it's her- it's terrible. We, we 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 don't seem to have this idea of personal responsibility. Bring your stuff home. We look for more bins now. There are a lot more bins around town, thankfully. Yeah, and as well as that, uh, on a lot of the walks, um, uh, you find that uh, they put up um, rubbish sacks and saying, don't litter, just fire it in the sack. And uh, about a yard away from the litter bag, you'll find sort of people who've dumped stuff. It's just incredible, you know? Mm, Yeah, it's terrible. So what do you think of the solutions, Kevin? Um... Yeah, we we don't want to go down sort of um, uh, a George Orwell kind of like uh, Big Brother is watching you kind of thing. But um, why not? Maybe if, if Big Brother was watching, people might behave themselves a bit. Yeah, uh, I suppose um, if we were to put up more uh, CCTV cameras. But I mean, the thing is that uh, if you put up CCTV cameras, uh, they'd probably aim at them then and start smashing them. (laughs) But, um, you know, I mean, uh, in in really lovely riverside walks now, like out Caragon, for example, um, you know, where would you put a a camera there? But on the other hand, the awful thought is that the landowner there might get sort of cheesed off finally and say, right, we just close the bloody thing off, bang. End of story, you know? Mm, mm, mm. And a uh, riverside walk is gone then because, you know, sort of um, Egypt's like, yeah. have fucked up the place. You, you, you finished your email to us by saying that we don't like to live in our own filth. We prefer to leave our own filth in someone else's locality. And unfortunately, that does seem to be the case. You know? All right. Kevin, leave it there. Thanks ever so much for that. Kevin Power sent us a long email and a bunch of photographs of litter around. I think he's completely right. I think he's 100% right. The amount of casual littering that goes on is just scandalous. Scandalous. And he's completely right about other countries. What little bit of travelling I've done. Oh, we are a disgrace. We are a dirty, filthy nation of litter. They don't have been a nation of alcoholics. We're a nation of litter bugs. A nation of shameless 
litter bugs. 1850-715-996. Ah, on indoor dining. Call us. That's a lot of nonsense what people is going on about. You can go into the supermarket and spend hours walking around, yet we can't go indoors for dining. Ridiculous. It's not the same caller. All the supermarkets now are limited with the number of people they can have in. I stood outside my local Tesco for 20 minutes, well, 15 minutes the other day, until I got an opportunity to go in because the place was full according to the limits. So it's not a matter. And plus, you're not sitting down inside in the supermarket. You know, you're you're moving around the supermarket. There's more ventilation in a supermarket. Most supermarkets are air-conditioned. There's more ventilation, better ventilation. It's it's not the same comparison. I wish people had stopped making that silly comparison. It's not the same. 1850 715996. Can we just talk? The opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural. And made in Cork using West Cork Cream. 96 FM. I see a lot of new bins around the streets, actually, as I dive in this morning. Whether there's different, loads of blue ones. Have you seen them? Blue, they're blue wheelie bins, basically, and they're cable tied together in bunches of two or three. But there's loads of them. And it's good to see, I presume, their council. There are other ones in as well. I haven't seen the, the, the modern looking ones, but there's loads of those blue wheelie bins around, which is, these are solar powered ones. I haven't seen one of those yet. But the, the blue ones, there's plenty of them there, and it's good to see them. 1850 715 uh, yes, PJ, your boss should have the right to know if you're vaccinated. This is a matter of public health. You, uh, Monica, you're not wrong, but I think you'll find that there's a problem with that. If you choose not to tell your boss that you whether or not you've been vaccinated, your boss can do nothing about it. I think I'm going to get an expert view on that in a while. Uh, Carla says, I haven't seen my two children in the UK for a year. Can PJ tell me when I can see them again over the mandatory hotel quarantine? Well, there's no mandatory hotel quarantine now between here and the UK, caller. And if you're fully vaccinated after the 19th, you can, I think, come and go as you please. The problem with cases like yours, and I sympathise from the bottom of my heart, I genuinely do. But the attitude of the Australians and the New New Zealanders and other places have been, well, unfortunately, the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. That's the problem. And we were afraid to bite the bullet on mandatory quarantine because we were afraid of the people who would complain. And that's why we made a, such a bags of it. 1850 uh, There are some solar-powered uh, the, 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 yeah, solar bins around that actually chop up the rubbish and break it down inside. Self-cleaning ones. I haven't seen one of them yet. Uh, so that's why I hadn't noticed them around. Last week we were talking about dating and, and the fact that there's no Listoon Varna Festival this year for the second year running and, and all of that and just the broader concept of dating after the pandemic and dating after lockdown. And, and I was introduced to the term FODA. The what, Pete? FODA. F-O-D-A. Do you know there's FOMO now is a thing, right? Fear of missing out. Well, FODA is fear of dating again. And it has arisen through the pandemic. Fear of dating again. Rachel, Sarah Murphy, I think you might have a dose of FODA, have you? Good morning. <laughs> Good morning, darling. Um, yeah, I think, well, I, I think I do, because if you just pick up one of these rags, like the mirror or the sun, you'll, you'll see on it, um, you know, awful things that have happened to women from their partners. And that really 
you know, that would put me off hugely because I'm a single mummy and, you know, my daughter is obviously my life. So I'm not going to bring somebody into the film who's, who's, you know, potentially going to hurt us. But so I would be, I would have real fear of dating. I would have a chronic fear of dating online. Mm. And I think that just comes from from looking at it from a practical point of view that anybody can put themselves up online and you do not know who you're getting and it doesn't matter what they say, you don't know who they are. So I, I just feel, you know, that if you... I'm, I don't want to get into the dating game again. I'm very business with, uh, busy with work and I, I would be terrified of bringing somebody in who would be um, a potential danger to, to me and to Lal. So I'm happy to wait until she's older. Um, I haven't dated for five years and I have no intention of, of starting now at the minute. Yeah. So, yeah. People so are worried, I, I though, about yeah. the, when the time is right as well, Rachel. Do you know that they've been in during the pandemic and... Yeah. They're they're looking to get out there now again and maybe try to meet somebody, and they're worried about is the time right? And then if the time is right, what do I do? How do I get ready? Has the but, world all changed? Well, do you know what? I mean, for for women, there's a lot of there's a lot of factors that are involved in in going back into the dating game when, like me, you've been out of it. Uh, and one of them would be, and a major one would be a body issue. You know, if you've had children or if somebody's divorced, etc., or like me that's never married but just has, I, I would have, I would be very honest and say that I would have a body issue because my body now is very different than what my body was before. So, so there is that, first of all, that could put you off dating and there is that confidence that you have to rebuild again in yourself and a lot of people have put on weight over COVID as well so that will have an impact into whether they want to get online or if they want to go dating. I would say, PJ, like if I was... If I was to say, if I was to choose to mm. go dating again, I would do it the old-fashioned way. I would say to my friends, do you know what? I'm ready to get back out there again. And if you know of anybody who's really lovely, you know, maybe introduce me. Or join a tennis club. Or join, and I have joined a tennis club, but not for that reason, if anybody's <laughs> listening. But <laughs> join a tennis club. Or join a football club. Or, or mm. join a sewing club. But do it the old-fashioned way and meet somebody in person. You're not, I, I just would steer everybody away from online. You don't know what you're getting yeah. unless you just want to stay. You, you were always of that view anyway, I think, Rachel, weren't you? I was, but you know what I did? I went on Tinder for two weeks once and, and I met three lovely, lovely men from different counties who were lovely. But I'm not into this texting, as you know. I just, I don't have time for it. I, I just, I'm not into it. And also texting, I think can also be potentially quite dangerous, you know. Um, I'm not, I'm, I'm 48, I'm just not into it. But but I think that, that also it's it's not real. It's, it's not real. I mean, these were lovely, lovely, complete gentlemen. They were lovely. But I just thought to myself, there's no point, yeah, you know, yeah. because anything, anything they say, you don't know whether it's real or not. That's the point. You can't verify anything, can you? Not, yeah. not, and anybody can go on it. A serial killer could go on it tomorrow. Yeah, you, you, know, you, you, know, you were yeah. talking about the body issues. I mean, yeah. fellas, fellas have been trying to get rid of the COVID stone as well and the Christmas kilos that went in on top of it. So they have body yeah. issues too. They, said they were not all Love Island buffs as it were. And you see, isn't this, isn't this, this is the ironic thing about it, is that, like, I, 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 and I'm sure lots of women, we like a man that we can hold on to, you know? And men also like a woman that they can hold on to. So, so we're all very conscious of our figures, and it's not, it's purely because of the media 
bullshit that is thrown in our faces every single day where you go and you see one of these clothing shops and they've got their models out there, but the models are 16. And I'm never going to have that magnificent figure I had when I was 16. I'm a 48-year-old woman. My body has served me well. It has fed my child. It has it's helped me carry her and bring her into this world. So, you know, there, there is a time when, when I think we do have to say, and I have to say to myself as well, that you know what? I'm perfect mm. the way I am. I'm, I'm happy in perfect. my own skin, says you. Exactly, because that's the, that's the way it has to go to move forward. And, and I think we just all have to, whatever way we can, to get into that zone, get into that zone and get out and start enjoying life. All right, listen, good to talk to you as always, Rachel. Thanks ever so much, Rachel, Sarah Murphy. Would you, be, would you share her fear of the online dating world? Does it fill you with dread, the prospect of flick, 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 flick? Oh, look at him. Look. Do you really? You don't know what you're getting. You don't, and as for the bodies, well, look, come on, do you know? <laughs> I used to joke about me love handles. It is the footholds are a problem, not the love handles. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Access all areas on Cork's 96FM. Your guide to nightlife on Side. Hi. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. It's Michael here with an update on Cork's Entertainment. Cork Opera House and Irish National Opera are joining forces to produce and present a pilot event at the Opera House on Saturday, July 10th. Tickets are on sale now to see Casta Diva, an evening with Magella Culler and guests, and early booking is advised due to capacity restrictions. Access all areas. Cinema Triscoll Christchurch has recommenced with some great movies coming up at the Cork venue over the summer. For details on the films that will be screened and ticket information, check out more at triscollartcentre.ie. Access all areas. Feel free to let us know at Access All Areas if you have a rescheduled show coming up or any live streaming events by emailing aaa at 96fm.ie. Access all areas. Your guide to nightlife on the side. On Cork's 96FM. Staff who refuse to have a COVID vaccination could still be forced to wear a mask in their workplace. That's according to one of Ireland's leading employment lawyers. Uh, they quote Melanie Crowley, who's a partner at Mason, Hayes and Curran an employment lawyer who deals with some of the biggest companies in the country, Facebook and Twitter and LinkedIn and Accenture and Western Union. 
And she said, according to this article, that it could be put in place to protect the health and safety of other workers. Um, She said that lawyers could legally enforce mandatory mask wearing for unvaccinated employers. Our vaccination programme is voluntary and nobody can be forced to have a vaccine. But if you're not vaccinated when you go back to work, it's perfectly legitimate for your boss to get you to follow different protocols if you're not vaccinated. But the problem that I see, and look, she's an employment lawyer, I'm not. Is your boss entitled to know whether or not you have been vaccinated? Is your boss entitled to ask you if you've been vaccinated? And is your boss entitled to know that information? That's where the data protection stuff starts to get problematic. Let us bring in uh, Caroline Reedy from HR Suite. Hi, Caroline. Good morning. Good morning. How are you? Good. That is going to be the issue, isn't it? Does your boss have the right to know your vaccination status? So I suppose the GDPR Data Protection Commissioner has issued guidance just hot off the press in relation to the whole what you can ask and what you can't ask. And we've always known that it's a tricky one in terms of asking people about their personal data. And this is personal data because it's linked to somebody's health, etc. So the key bottom line here is you can only ask if you've identified a risk that you need to know. So, for example, if somebody is a frontline healthcare worker, there is um, a potential need to ask. Once you've done your risk assessment and you've identified a real need either for the risk of the employees or the risk of the customer. But outside of that, you can't ask. And, for example, Fergal, in an office environment, you're going to be doing the social distancing. You're going to be doing all of the other measures. So that's an additional positive if people have been vaccinated because obviously that will you know, give them additional protection. But that's not um, a prerequisite in an environment like that. You could argue, though, that in any office, having an unvaccinated person walking around could potentially be dangerous. So realistically, your boss would then, wouldn't they, be entitled to know who's vaccinated and who isn't? Not necessarily, because I suppose the first line of defence in all of this is social distancing, you know, hand washing, making sure people are, you know, following good respiratory hygiene, etc. And that's the starting point. The vaccination process is an additional layer of defence for the person who chooses to get vaccinated. Right. So ultimately, I suppose... So unless your boss can say there's a public health risk... Exactly. You have it, you have it, you have it. So I would say, though, it's very important for employers to encourage people to be vaccinated. So, like, we can positively encourage, but we can't discriminate or victimise or, indeed, anybody who says, well, look, I've chosen not to because of a religious belief or because of an underlying health condition or just because it's my constitutional right and I can Mm. choose not to if I want. That's kind of answering my next question. Can a boss require you to be vaccinated to allow you to come back in the office? Absolutely not. Um, Ultimately, I suppose the vaccination is something that people have the right to refuse. Like we're lucky in Ireland, the uptake of it is so positive. I mean, you know, there really is a very positive uptake. However, if somebody is, you know, choosing not to, 
then we have to do a risk assessment, which is the foundation of all the decisions and, you know, all of the different things that we make has to be based on the objectivity of doing the risk assessment. And only then can we make a judgment call to say, okay, well, look, Caroline, it would be obviously better if you were vaccinated for your own personal good. But that's as far as we can go, positively encourage, but we can't go further than that. Mm. Give me there for just one more time, Caroline, that thing that's hot off the presses from the Data Protection Commission. What rights does, what, what is the new information that you've got to hand this morning? Just recap again for me. So the key points, I suppose, are we've been following this approach anyway, because typically with medical data or personal data that's to do with something so sensitive as somebody's personal data around medical stuff like this vaccination is, the the Data Protection Commissioner has reiterated that. So she's reiterated the fact that we can't ask have people been vaccinated, etc., unless there's a public health reason we need to know. And that's not... Um, something that we, you know, take for granted as the first line of defence. And who would assess whether or not there was a genuine public health reason? Ultimately, you'd have to do the risk assessment. That's in line with the return to work protocol that's in place already. And that that return to work risk assessment, the employer can do themselves. And ultimately, that will dictate then as part of that to say, okay, well, look, as I mentioned, the healthcare environment is a is a good example of where, you know, you have to take, I suppose, all additional measures because of the fact you may not be able to ensure people can ins- can facilitate social distancing. Whereas the other example is an office where we should be able to facilitate social distancing. Okay, okay. All right, listen, Caroline, thank you very much. Caroline Reedy, uh, HR Suite, thank you very much. So your boss, effectively, unless they can demonstrate a public health risk isn't entitled to know your vaccination status and can't force you to be vaccinated unless there is a known risk. That's pretty much where we are. If there's a known risk, if there's an assessed risk, public health risk, then your boss can assist perhaps or check your vaccination status. But in general, your boss has no right to know your vaccination status. How do you think about that with one or two? Yes, Monica says your boss should know if you're vaccinated, as this is a matter of public health. Well, I think that's what the Data Protection Commissioner is saying, and that's what Caroline was saying, Monica. If the back-to-work assessment shows that there is a public health risk involved, then your boss is entitled to know your vaccination status. Siobhan says all supermarket staff should be vaccinated as well. They're dealing with the public throughout the whole pandemic. Yeah, and that I think is what Siobhan Nyack are supposed to be doing at this meeting they're having today to decide whether, and we'd have a few hundred thousand doses of AstraZeneca and a couple of hundred thousand doses of Johnson & Johnson literally lying around in fridges from the middle of this month because the cohort for which they're being used is done. So they're sitting there doing nothing, gathering dust in a fridge. When we have loads of staff in supermarkets and loads of staff in pubs and restaurants not vaccinated. Think about if you were down on Princess Street the weekend and you had a good time, I'm delighted for you, right? I haven't been in there yet, I must say, but none of those young staff or very few of those young staff going around cheery and bubbly and full of the joys and bringing you your pint your pizza, they're not vaccinated yet. And we want to go indoors with them? 
not vaccinated yet. That's just one of the things to be taken into account. I have a feeling, and I was talking about this earlier this morning, I was reading it over the weekend, I was sitting thinking about it. I have to think, when you look at the proper international reporting, we could find, at the end of the year, looking back and saying, do you know what? We were right all along. That very good question that came in there uh, with regard to your boss, uh, we'll see if we can find out from, from Caroline. If an employer hands you a new contract, this is from Paul, it's an excellent question. If, you're, if an employer hands you a new contract which states that you must be vaccinated to commence work, can they actually do that? That's a very, very good question. We'll have to try and find the answer. 1850-715-996. We'll see if we can. If we can't track her down at this stage, she may be going into a meeting or something. We'll certainly follow up on this. On Rachel and the dating. That's right. That lady's right, they said. You sure there could be a mass murderer? You've no notion who you're meeting online. On dumping and illegal dumping and Kevin's conversation with me about illegal dumping. I've seen children throwing rubbish onto the ground while they're there with their parents and the parents don't say anything. Absolutely. See it everywhere. Jimmy is in Cove. PJ, could you please get a message out to me? Some guy here in Cove walks his dog, puts the poop in a bag and then throws the bag on the path. Sure, there's no sense in that. I just picked one up on Sunday in a green area where young kids play. I walked back home with it and threw it in my own bin. What an idiot. Yeah, (laughs) <laughs> you know, you have to have the bag for the dog poop. You're then supposed to take it home and dump it properly, not leave it around the next corner. I spoke to someone in Cove, I think last summer, uh, they were constantly having these bags chucked in over their garden wall. On indoor dining, I'm fully vaccinated and I think I should be allowed inside to eat and drink. If the people elect not to be vaccinated, then they should not be allowed in. You can't go to certain countries if you don't have the yellow fever vaccination. Well, I'm with you on the last part of that, uh, caller. I'm of the belief, and I'll state it here and now, that for the foreseeable future, for the foreseeable future, you should not be allowed into this country on non-essential business unless you're fully vaccinated. You shouldn't be allowed into Ireland unless you're fully vaccinated for the foreseeable future. There are many parts of the world that you cannot go without a vaccine. Vaccine for this, vaccine for that, vaccine for another. They won't let you in without it. And I think that should be a condition of entry to Ireland for the foreseeable. I'll get slaughtered for it, I know, I don't care. No vaccine, no entry to our country for the foreseeable future. I'm sure someone thinks I'm mad but I don't really care. 1850-715-996. There is a protest outside the GPO this afternoon to highlight the closure of three post offices in Cork over the last two and a half years. The most recent one being Montanotti, which is closing this week. Sinn Féin TD, Thomas Gould. Thomas, good morning. Good morning, PJ. The, the, the Montanotti one, when... The story broke. I was kind of concerned about it. But then there's no one using it. Very few people are actually using it. Well, I don't think that's correct, PJ, because I spoke to to people up there and they said only for the post office during the pandemic, um, they wouldn't know what they they, It was such a vital lifeline for the community up there. And uh, speaking to people up there, the the amount of people who use that post office uh, on a weekly basis... 
So you see, PJ, this, the situation here is, uh, do we want post offices or we don't, right? And what you have is the government saying that they're supporting the post offices, but then when it comes down to it, they're doing nothing to save them. So what I'm saying is the Postmasters Union are looking for a public service agreement to save the post office. There are over a 1,000 post offices. And what I'm hearing on the ground is that there are another few in the north side who are barely hanging on. And on the 1st of July, a lot of those people's their contracts will reduce by 20%. Mm. And we'll see more post offices close. A post office works for... for People who wouldn't get it. A post, a post office is a contract given sometimes they're in the back of a pharmacy, sometimes they're in the side of a supermarket, and you get to operate that sub-post office on a contract, and it has to, it has to financially wash its face, doesn't it, Thomas? But you see, PJ, we're after learning now that we have to provide services to people. And what the postmasters are looking for is that they want to turn these post offices now into green hubs so that people can go away and apply for grants for retrofitting, grants for windows and doors, that the post offices, like, for most, for a lot of people, PJ, post offices are the last, are the only remaining contact they have to people in their community. And if you're going to be closing these down, you're isolating people. Mm. So what we are saying is we should invest in the post offices. Like, PJ, we've seen the banks are closing hundreds of branches, right? Yes. They're, they're closing them everywhere. So what we should be doing now is promoting post offices as part of community banking so that people have somewhere to go. It makes common sense. It's a win-win for everyone. Mm. But the problem is the government, like, before the election, PJ, every, every candidate was out saying we're going to save the post offices and just silence now and the closures is deafening. Mick says that Montanotti Post Office is very busy, queues every day. And, yeah. and PJ, people were telling me uh, they're very disappointed. They said the lady who ran it uh, and the staff up there were brilliant. They're, they're, they have nothing but positive things to say about them. Mm. And they're saying, and you know, people, the people who lose out again here, PJ, PJ are older people. Yeah. people who there is, there is always that argument comes up. I remember when Blackpool, the controversy over Blackpool years ago, when they were moving it from the bridge there out to the shopping centre. Most of the controversy surrounded the young people, the fact, or the older people rather, the fact that that post office was the heart of the community. It was like a little community centre there on the bridge. And that's what they are, to be fair, these small post offices. They are like a little community centre. PJ, you're 100% right. I have my office here on Shannon Street, and they closed the post office here on Shannon Street. Too. And we... Oh, that line is that line is going to drop on me, Thomas. Are you moving around? Sorry, PJ. Can you hear me now? Yes. You were saying you have I your did. office on Shannon Street. Yes. And when they closed the post office two and a half years ago in Shannon Street, the people explained what a huge loss it was. And the side effect of closing the post office has been that there's less people now using the other shops on Shannon Street. So that's the problem. You're losing footfall, and then you're losing the people. Like, we're being funny. People would have to go in and talk to the, the staff, find out what was happening locally. It, it could be a bereavement. It could be an anniversary. It was always a great place to meet people and yeah. to talk. Like a little community centre, like you said, yeah. And PJ... Like what we're saying now is we're trying to support the postmasters because I'll probably be on the phone to you again in the next six months when there's another one closed down. They know, 
Like, Fianna Fáil, between 2011, right, closed 750. We have just over a 1,000 left now. And the question is now, are we going to try to save what we have left? Mm. And I, what people are saying to me, PJ, is they want to keep their local post office. Mm. Mm. The, the argument was, well, they don't, as I say, they don't wash them, their faces, they don't balance, they don't make financial sense, but the other, the, the, the counter to that is, well, put more services into them. Like many people have argued for years, you should be able to tax your car at the local post office. PJ, you're, you're right again. What's happening is they want, the postmasters want to do more work, but the regulations, and it's all about red tape and bureaucracy. Well, you think, no, we have to give them we have to give them, they're looking for a, 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 an agreement for 17 million that will protect the post offices out there and help them add extra services. And PJ, it could be Mayfield tomorrow, it could be Gronbrahor, it could be Nottingham or Blarney Street, right? And to be honest, it could be Douglas or Bishopstown. It's just in the north side. Post offices are right across Cork City and County, and a lot of them closed down in the county. Uh, over the last 10, 15 years and people really missed them. Okay, all right, leave it there. At 4 o'clock today, a protest at the GPO. That's Thomas Gould, a Sinn Féin TD for Cork North Central. And look, you could say, right, a post office, a small post office, it has to balance its books. If it's not financially viable, then it's just like any other service. If it's not financially viable, then it can't be allowed to survive. But they are... For many people, they're the little community centre. And if you allowed them to do more stuff, like for years, people are, oh, why can't you tax your car at a post office? Pay a parking fine at your post office. Pay any number of... There are probably loads... I Look, I'm probably in a post office two or three times a year. If that. But I can see how valuable they are for people who use them all the time. So could you redevelop them? Put other services into them? Or do they... S- strictly have to balance their book and wash their face and if they can't then they're gone 185715996 and remembering that it's always or generally speaking it's the older people in the community who benefit most from the post office you cannot say to them you cannot say to someone who's 82 well you're going to have to do all your pension stuff online now the lines are live. And we're ready to talk. Can we just talk? Call 1850-715-996. Text or WhatsApp 083-396-9696. Email opinion at 96fm.ie. The Opinion Line with PJ Coogan. On Cork's 96FM. Nice few days ahead weather-wise. It'll clear up this evening. You could have some nice bright weather this evening. Tomorrow... It's looking like uh, a real July day, a real late June, early July day, 23 degrees and a nice clear afternoon with plenty of sunshine. Wednesday, 22 degrees and again, nice clear afternoon, bit of sunshine. Thursday, looking nice. But um, at this point in time, unfortunately, the news for next weekend, the news is not good. It is not looking promising at all for next weekend. I'm seeing a lot of rain and the little umbrella symbol that comes up on the app is out a lot next weekend. So make the most of it for this couple of days because it looks like this little blast of summer uh, will, will not last until the weekend. Hope it against hope that that will change. We'll see if it does during the week. 
1857 on the post office says, hi PJ I'm 21 I use the post office for savings as my credit union now charges a euro for every transaction there's always an atmosphere in the post office all the elderly people are there that's where they see each other every week and Mick reminds us again that uh, the Montanati post office has queues there Carla says they should never have allowed supermarkets as part of shops you mean I take it you mean they should never have allowed post offices be part of supermarkets or part of shops they should have put in extra services to make them more viable like what happens on the continent thanks for that still we will check that Paul we've not been able to get back onto Caroline she's very busy today but we will check that question if anybody else knows that answer you never know who's listening to you that knows about employment law and stuff like that has a good notion of what might be the case. Paul wants to know, if you go back to work and your employer hands you a new contract, like if you were due to get a new contract, and if that new contract contains a clause that says you have to be vaccinated, is that legal? It's a very good question, to which I do not know the answer, but we'll try to find out. 1850 Also later this hour, catching up with a small place in County Cork small village in County Cork, which has produced not one, but two Olympians. I'm speaking of Castle Magner, and hopefully I'll speak to both of those Olympians uh, later on this hour. 1850-715-996. Let me go first of all, though, to Irene O'Connor. Now, we have spoken many times about Irene O'Connor and about her plans to remember little Bavine. And now you've done it, Irene. You've set up the Heart Angel, you're officially launching it as a charity. Good morning. Good morning, PJ. Thanks so much for having me on and inviting me to speak about the charity. It means a lot to Pleasure get to do that. When we spoke earlier in the year, um, you, you had planned it and you were sitting down to pull it together. But now, now it's here. So tell us about it. Okay, so basically um, the charity is to, to remember our beautiful daughter, Bevin, who passed away um, last September after a routine procedure in Cumlin after heart surgery put her into cardiac arrest. And the charity really um, came about because we, we wanted to, to give something back. So it, we've decided to uh, launch the Heart Angel charity and um, we have two, two main... Sorry, I'm, I'm very nervous You're this morning. Okay. Relax, you're fine. I'm sorry, PJ. You're it's fine. just it's an emotional time because um, we've been working so hard up yeah. until now to get this over the line. And I, it was just last Friday we launched it. And I've just got a bit emotional about now this morning, just remembering B because um, obviously we did all this for her. So the charity um, is, has three main things. It was to promote acts of kindness, um, to embark on initiatives to create well-being in the community and to develop programs to reach all members of the community. So um, right now we're just working on two main projects. So the first one um, is going to be rolled out in September and it's hashtag Heart Angel Challenge. And it's going to be rolled out across um, all the 3,300 primary schools in Ireland. Um, it's an annual event um, which starts on the 16th of September every year because that's Bavine's anniversary date. Mm. And each year has a different theme. So this year it will be kindness. And we have a one-day program which the schools will undertake. And then the kindness will be remembered for the whole year. And then if the principal um, feels that, that every student in, in the school did really well with their kindness challenge, they will inform us in May. And then we will present the school with an annual award. 
um, which is a beautiful piece of art um, designed all around kindness and which is individually customised to each school. Mm-hmm. And the child will receive a certificate which will encourage parents to put up in their room. So every year is different, as I said. So the following year, 2022 to 2023, is forgiveness. Um, the following year is inclusivity, joy, courage, love. Yeah. So the, the aim of this um, challenge is to plant seeds of kindness and seeds of um, inspiring children, actually, just for their greater good. Um, and we just we hope that all the, the primary schools in Ireland will take board. And within the, ten, the next 10 years, we're hoping that all schools will be on board with this challenge. Okay. And then the second project is the Heart Angel Gardens which I'm quite passionate about. Um, so obviously the schools will be asked to, um, each child will be asked to donate two euro um, when, they, when they take place in this challenge because um, the night that they undertake the initiative in the school, they will receive no homework to, to think about what they're going to do for their challenge and then donate two euro. And with this money and all monies raised from all fundraisers, we hope, it's a very ambitious project now, within the next 10 years to have the Heart Angel Garden in every county in Ireland. So the, it's a, it, this garden is um, a beautiful, inspiring space and it's created around the school challenge. So it's a place where everyone can go to spread messages of positivity. Um, there's going to be one made sculpture within the garden. It's called the Heart Angel Sculpture and this represents every child lost in Ireland. Right. right. And, and there's an awful lot of them, isn't there? There is. There's roughly about 300 kids pass away every year in Ireland and I guess this is where it came from, it was from her friends Um, so she has like a very close group of friends and I I believed that it would be them and her cousins Brooke and Jacob who live next door and like siblings that would be affected by Bavine's loss and it's only in the months that followed I realised it wasn't just them it was her class, it was her schoolmates it was the people that she went to art with to music class, our friends children their nieces and nephews because Bevin obviously and every child doesn't just ch- touch their cousins and their best friends they, they, it's the wider community and they got they were in real shock yeah. when Bevin died yeah. the gardens are a beautiful idea and, and they'd be I take it open to the public and all that oh of course it's a, we're, we're working on our first garden um, Seamus McGrath from he's, he's a councillor in Carrigline he's, he's amazing he's working really closely with us and the council to make sure that obviously the, the garden complies and with every framework within the council but this is a beautiful inspirational space and if somebody hadn't lost a child they, they wouldn't really it's not going to jump out that it's you know it's a memorial garden for, for children who have died because we really want that's another part of the challenge, challenge that I'd like to do is to, to stop the taboo about grief for ch- especially around children in Ireland because obviously everybody was amazing for the three days of the funeral because everybody in Ireland knows what to do and then yeah. three days but then after that people just didn't know what to say to me they didn't know how to talk to Owen and myself um, and it was just so strange because we had people actually not their fault they probably would have done the same like they'd see us and they'd panic and they'd nearly turn a different way because they just literally mm-hmm. nobody knew what to say to that's us that's a very human response though isn't it Oh my God, I, I did it myself. We gather honest. around people in, in a moment of tragedy, in a moment of loss, and we're very, very good at that as a nation of people. But then it's when, it's when the, the moment has passed, we move on. But they don't because, well, they've still got their loss to deal with. And then we, then we kind of say, I don't know what to do. I don't know how to help. Yeah, exactly. So this is where it all came into my head. And obviously I've been helped by so many people since November who've just literally landed into my lap so 
the Heart Angel Garden obviously is positive, it's inspirational, it's designed around the, the love, the courage, the kindness. There's going to be trees all, I don't give too much information about the garden because it's a, a beautiful design that we have now, but mm. it, when people come they will be inspired, but really it's like for me, it's a space where friends and family of children who've gone too soon can come and grieve in a beautiful space because the children, you know, the children who've lost a sibling, a cousin, a friend, they find it very difficult to visit their loved one in a grave. Um, so this would be a beautiful space they can visit, they can think of their loved one and they can grieve through play and to something that doesn't look so scary because... Like a lot of the children that we're very close with from Baveen, they want to know where Baveen is. They just they don't understand where she's gone. And when they hear, obviously, this garden is not going to be, you know, it's for everyone. It's inclusive for everyone. So mm. we're not having a, a very religious theme in it. But, it. but, you know, most people tell their children, oh, well, they're in heaven, they're angels. So that's why we called it the Heart Angel Garden. And it's a place where they can come together and the family can go, oh, can you see this beautiful tree? Can you, know, can you find the angels and the butterflies? And like, this is heaven, this beautiful space. And, you know, your friend, for example, Baveen, she's, she's playing and she's having so much fun and she's minding you. Another, actually, thing we're incorporating in the garden is, uh, unbelievably, we found, by talking with play therapists and occupational therapists and through seeing my own beautiful niece Brooke who's, who's like baby and sister and, and Jacob we, they live next door it was I found it very difficult because um, she she doesn't believe like Baveen's dead she, she can't get it into her head we didn't know why she wouldn't talk about Baveen she didn't want to come into the house and then through play therapy we realised she still believed Baveen was alive um, Jacob was angry at her Another one of her friends um, in, in, in school, we found she wouldn't enjoy anything. She felt guilty that she had a life and Baveen didn't have a life. So in this garden, we're working with occupational therapists to, to um, have questions that, that they would be asking in play therapy that the parents can maybe ask, oh, well, you know, where do you think Bee is now? Or, you know, look, she really wants you to live a very happy, love, positive, joyful life. So we're going to really incorporate that theme in the garden that the children can come and the parents can explain to them it's a beautiful place um, and, and that's probably the main aim of this, this garden. Because yeah, we, again, we, we, we don't think, do we, about like her, her, her little friends, her cousins, the people who knew her at school, kids who knew her at school, they're still trying to come to terms with, with the last two. I, mean, I know. And we tend to forget that sometimes. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, it's something that I wouldn't have thought of either. You automatically think of, oh, my goodness, the parents. And I guess Owen and I are kind of in a unique position when this happened. So I know um, people are wondering, like, how I'm doing it, how I'm getting strength, because I know if you see me out in public, I guess this is the first time I've been a bit emotional in public because I can't get emotional in public because I fall to bits. But I'm very strong in in a way because, I guess, when Baveen died, she died during COVID. So... In, she died in September. In October, Owen was very lucky. He still had his job and he still was doing his degree, so he had a real focus of something to do. But I had lost my beautiful girl who, who was literally our world. I had no job because of COVID. We don't have any other children. I couldn't leave the house um, or I couldn't see anyone and nobody could come to see me. And I literally, at one stage, I woke up and I said, oh my God, I have no reason to get out of bed in the morning. And it was really scary. Mm-hmm. So, I can't believe how lonely that must feel. This is awful, but I think out of every darkness there's light, and that gave me time to reflect. So a lot of my calls were in Zoom or phoning on the phone with people, and 
they didn't know what to talk to me they're my close friends and family but what I did seem to get out of all of them I, I, I love all my friends kids I love my niece and nephew and I still actually steal them from Friday so we can have some, some <laughs> children time but what I got from all my friends and family is that they, it was the, it was like they were trying to deal with their own children. They could even deal with their own grief about losing baby because they were so upset and scared about how their kids were reacting. And then I started thinking, we need to do something. And that's where this whole brainchild of the Heart Angel came in. And this is the f- only two projects I'm working on at the moment. And I have this amazing board of trustees who will actually kill me if I go on about all the other projects because I don't want to confuse people. So the two main projects, obviously, we're rolling out this year is hashtag the Heart Angel Challenge to try to get all the children in school. This isn't really about grief. This is about spreading and planting seeds of in, in young minds of be kind. So the whole year, it's like be kind, be kind. The following year, forgiveness and why that's important. So we have a program developed and a real strong marketing drive about how important it is to, to, to follow the teams each year okay. and hopefully um, you know kids are young and if we start implanting these when, when they're a very young stage you know they're going to go up to be the future adults and I know we can't change the world but if we could just you know instill that in a school and then the art the piece of art is an award so we're hoping every school they'll get the award every year they'll place right. it in reception and every year the kids will come in and they'll see they won the Kindness Award, they won the Forgiveness Award, they won the Inclusivity Award, they won the Courage, Love, Joy. But we're also going to give really high quality certificates to them and encourage parents to also put it up in their bedroom. So every morning they see it in their bedroom, they go into school, they see it in school and it's a reinforced message that will hopefully ease, you know, a lot of um, upset in schools, maybe with bullying, with, you know, feeling sad, just that, that's that I think what you're doing is brilliant I think it's absolutely fantastic and I think it's going to be an enormous success it really is because kids they love to get involved in little projects like this and it's going to be it's going to be a huge success and you're doing be so proud thank you you really <laughs> thanks are thanks so much you really are um, could, could I just mention as well that we um, we have a fundraiser as well coming up um, also to try to contribute to the Heart Angel Garden so this garden, unfortunately, like, I really have um, spent a very long time on this garden and everything has fallen in my lap. So we've been very lucky that Mary Murphy, who I didn't know before a baby and died, she's, um, she runs the Underbury Art Collective. So she's come on board and spent a very, very long time and given up voluntarily her hours and hours and hours helping me with the artistic design of the garden. And she's going to help me commissioning all the different 22 artists to design the different trees. But also another person has come on board, and only up last week was, um, you know, Connor King, the the boy, the 22-year-old boy who died nine weeks ago yes, in Garrettstown. Um, this is this is a pure example of baby, and she lands everyone at my lap. So his mom, Connor, phoned me, um, texted me, sorry, and I phoned her back just to just have a catch up. And I was explaining the project to her, and I said, "Well, Maura, you know, the only thing now we need is a garden designer." And she literally laughed, and she said, "You do know that, like, I'm literally." really if you can't find anyone else in Cork who knows more about plants and I'll help you design the garden um, so we, we have a lot of volunteers oh, come brilliant. on board the city um, so the, the first garden will be in Carrigaline, um, but this will probably be the only garden in a town and city in Ireland every other garden we hope to be um, in, in the county council main parks in each city like okay. Cork, Dublin, Galway all the, all the cities Okay. Um, Seamus McGrath also has spent so much time I can't believe how much time people have given up helping me and liaising with the council 
to make sure I don't do anything wrong and do everything correct and following guidelines in the community mm. park. Um, but we're asking businesses, um, and this is where you come in, and this is why I was so happy when you, you contacted us last Friday to, to come on the radio, because we need businesses maybe to help us to sponsor um, some of the trees, etc. So, so Cargoline is like nearly the template, so it, every garden will be designed around this garden in Cargoline, so we, we want it really well. And I know court people always come together, and especially the people in Cargoline, they, they'll come together for one of their own. So if you're listening, um, we have various different packages so there's a diamond gold bronze and silver because we want every company and small business to be able to get involved so there's different prices on each of these so it ranges from 5,000 for the diamond package down to 150 for the bronze so it's very very um, easy for companies to come on board and they'll obviously there'll be a little plaque mentioned in the garden but not like the gold traditional this is a very modern cool garden Uh, where will the garden be I wonder Um, can you tell me still in talks with um, I have to talk really nicely to the council so it's in we're hoping in the um, you know the park in Cargoline I do the community park yes so it's, it's going to be there and there's a beautiful meditation space where people do yoga and it's a really beautiful area so we're going um, meeting with the council now during the week and just finalising you know what we're allowed what we're not allowed so I don't okay. give too much away no, but I, I, I know the talking. general area I lived in Carrigline for 10 years I know yeah. the area you're talking about and it'll be lovely there yeah, be lovely. Well, listen, anything we can do for you along the way, you, you don't hesitate to pick up the phone, Irene. It's a wonderful idea, and lots of people are saying here how strong you are and how brave you are to keep this going and how you're doing. Be proud, and, and you know, yourself and Owen are, are great people. As I, I wish you so much success with this, Irene, all right? Thank you so much, thank you. And I'll be killed if I don't mention the show. <laughs> There's a show coming up in September, the Heart Angel Concert. So. Okay. Um, her website will be out in the next week or two. Um, at the moment, there is a holding page, and if anyone wants to go and donate on that, we'd, we'd be very, very grateful. Okay. And um, the show, the Heart Angel Concert, is in September, so if everyone keeps an eye on the website. Um, and I would really encourage parents, especially, and everybody, I'd love everyone to, to follow Baby on Instagram and Facebook, the Heart Angel. Okay. And um, we keep you up to date on everything that's happening. In, All right, in and, and that, that website is under development at the moment, but it's the Heart Angel, www www.theheartangelononeword.com Irene, I wish you well with it in regards to Owen also, uh, very very brave people uh, the tragic loss of their little girl last year they've taken that grief and channeled it into what looks like being a wonderful charity going forward 1850 we got an answer back Caroline came back to us Paul had asked the question if an employer hands you a new contract stating that you have to be vaccinated to commence that contract. Can they do this? And Caroline Reedy, our HR expert, said, no, that is not permissible. But, of course, get your own independent legal advice. Okay? In her opinion, in her view, that is not permissible. But if you have a problem, seek your own legal advice. 1850-715-996. This comes up from time to time. If you're looking for something to watch, it's still up there on Netflix. There's so much good television out there right now. But The Siege of Jadotville, if you look for it on Netflix, is a story of Irish soldiers in the Congo. And Tom reminds us, not one of the Irish troops involved has gotten proper recognition yet. I think it's time it was brought up in the media again. I tell you, if you want to learn about that part of our history and you're looking for a good film to watch 
and a break from, say, COVID or a break from Sophie or a break from any of that stuff, grab that and have a look at it. The Siege of Jadotville. It is on Netflix and it's a fine, fine piece of filmmaking uh, drawing attention to some fine, fine people who were very shabbily treated by this country. 1850 715 996. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96 FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. The lift was going up and it stopped at the first floor. Okay. In steps Colin Farrell with, you know, like the entourage. And there's two or three people oh, no. there with him. Yeah. You didn't the have on- your makeup on yet and he thought you were Colin Farrell. <laughs> 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 uh, no, okay, carry on. You cheeky. Casey and Ross in the morning with no DC cars Blackpool for Skoda in the city. A long-standing tradition in Cork. Open 24-7 at nildc.com. Cork's 96FM. Now, the... The town of Castle Magner uh, is looking forward to the Olympics, possibly like no other town in Ireland or certainly in County Cork, because they have two Olympians. Yes, two Olympians. And indeed, they're a very, uh, they're a town that has been churning out all sorts of success and have lots of very well-known people living there. Um, Donovan lives there, the, the 60s pop star and they have an Oscar nominee of or two living there. It's a place that's churning them out as it were. One of the people that's churning out is the steeplechaser Michelle Finn who is presently training and preparing for the Olympics in Japan and she joins me. Michelle, good morning to you. Hello, how are you? And congratulations on qualifying for Japan. What stage is your training at right now? Um, well, we just had national camps this weekend, so I just did it like a usual long run Sunday and easier run this morning. So just kind of recovering from that at the moment and getting ready for the next one. It's the 3000 metre, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. That was a great all event. And it's it's one of the best events, I think, in, in, in the Olympics. It's it's a, it's a really, it's a real, a really good one. It's a very tough test, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, I'm sure they're all good events, but it's my favourite one anyway, so I'm going to agree with you on that one. Yeah. So tell us a bit about yourself then. Tell us a bit about yourself, growing up and oh. interested in uh, athletics and how long you've been doing all that. Oh yeah, well I I guess I've kind of always been doing athletics, like mum and dad both ran a bit. Dad did a lot and mum like, was pre- pretty good as well. So I think we, I was always just around it and we just, everybody in my family did all the different sports. So we'd always play football, soccer, camogie, gymnastics and athletics was just one of them. So I kind of just did them all. And then it was just, I got a scholarship to America after school or after my first two years of college in UL. And after that, I just kind of focused on athletics and it was just pretty much athletics after that. Yeah. Was was it always the favourite growing up? You you were doing other sports, but was it? Did 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 you realise very early on that you had a special love for athletics? I don't know. I I mean, I always did love athletics, but I definitely loved like getting football as well and gymnastics. So it's probably between the three of them. But I probably was the best at athletics, or it just turned out that way anyway. Eventually. <laughs> so. Preparing for the Olympics, it's an Olympics like no others, apart from being a a year late. What sort of preparations are you having to make? 
Um, well, I was kind of just concentrated on getting there first, so I, I'm only now really starting to think about all the other different things. But um, obviously, it's going to be different with probably no crowds, and I think it's going to be like really short amount of time in and out, rather than I don't think we'll get to watch all the other events and stuff like we yeah. would have before. Yeah. But um, yeah, I think just getting ready for the heat is probably going to be the main thing now. So I'll probably try and go into the institute in Dublin and do a bit of training, and they've got a kind of a warm room in there to replicate the warm weather so I might try and do a bit of change. Oh, will it be there. very hot out there yeah? Yeah I think it'll be really really hot and humid. Yeah humidity <laughs> could be <laughs> no, we, we're, we're not fond of the heat and humidity us Irish. We love the heat, but not so much the humidity is, is tough going. And of course, it'll, it makes, it, it makes it harder to perform and harder to, it, so, have you been vaccinated now and all that, Michelle? I have got the first vaccine. So I think just all the athletes who are close enough to qualifying for the Olympics got offered the Pfizer vaccine. So I got the first one, but I have not got the second one yet. You'll have it before I go, before you go, I assume. Yeah, yeah. That's yeah. It, yeah. So, what is the plan? When are you scheduled to leave? Um, I'm not sure exactly. I'll probably find out in the next few days or weeks. But I think sometime in the middle of July. We'll, well, obviously, I still have to get officially selected, so I'm still pending. <laughs> pending selection will be the middle of July. I think we'll go to Japan and then. Um, to Tokyo from a different place in Japan. Yeah, the whole selection process is slow and painful, but you, you're you're pretty much there, are you not? I mean, you're never there until you're actually there, so I'm not going to say that. But like, I have qualified, so yes. the the deadline is the 29th. So nobody on the track is going to get selected before that anyway. So I have you. Kind of I have you. So you've got your qualification. You're just waiting for the for the selection to come. Michelle, I wish you the very, very best when it does come. When when might we when might we see the when is the event on? When is the first round of your event? Well the first round of the steeplechase is the first of August. First so of I think August. just a bit before that and there'll be more after that okay. in other events. But there there'll be big there'll be the big crowds around every telly in Castle Magna. I hope so. They're always <laughs> sure. good for the support, anyway, in Castle Magna. Yeah, yeah. This is it's a I've I've it's it's a very very um it's it's a I've only ever been there once, um but it's a the, tell me a bit about Castle Magna. What kind of a place is it? <laughs> it's a nice place, small place, good GAA team. I I mean. It's nice. I don't know. It's like a normal Irish village, I think. Yeah, but yeah. it's great. Everybody there is always like probably my most support comes from Castle Magna, Canturk. Yeah. So I love going back there anyway. It's a great okay. place. You should go again. I might go again. Thanks, Michelle. And good luck when it all comes around uh, later on this summer. Michelle Finn, steeplechaser, 3,000 metres steeplechaser, heading off to Japan. Well, okay, she's qualified and she's got to be selected, but she's heading off to Japan. They've got another Olympian, Shane Sweetnam, a show jumper, and I've also been talking to him. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With dairy-made premium spread, 100% natural, and made in Cork using West Cork cream. Simon Murdoch and the best music mix. Weekdays from midday on Cork's 96 FM. I get it, it's Monday, you got a mountain of emails, the boss is on your case, and you just want to get through the day, get home, and watch Love Island. Let me help you through your afternoon and listen out for a brilliant new competition with Disney Plus after the opinion line on Cork's 96 FM. Delighted to be joined from Belgium uh, by Shane Sweetnam. Shane, you're based in Florida most of the time, I think. It's a sport that you don't hear much about here at home, unlike you did back in the 80s. But we actually punch very high up in it, don't we? 
Yeah, yeah, we have uh, we have and have done for a while have uh, a lot of riders in the t- um, top hundred, top fifty in the world. Um, most competitions every week we we seem internationally we seem to have an Irish winner, um, and the sport has grown globally. I suppose in Ireland, in the country itself, it's sort of fallen behind. Uh, the other sports in the following of it, but uh, it, ha- it has grown immensely, and it's a uh, especially in Belgium, Holland, Germany, France. Uh, there's uh, big shows every week with a lot of money. So there's uh, and luckily, and in America, obviously, and luckily we have some very good Irish riders that's that are winning every week. Mm. You're from Castle Magner. Uh, mm-hmm. Tell me about Castle Magner. I, I I think I've only ever been there once. Um, yeah, Cast Magner is a, a great place. I went to national school in Ballyhas. Um, I played till I left for America uh, 17 years ago. I played with the Cast Magner football and hurling team. Um, and I still have some good friends there. My parents still live there. Um, and it's a, a great place with great people. Mm. It seems to have a bit of luck churning out Olympians. There's two of you off this year. Uh, yeah, Michelle Finn, who um, she competed at the last one as well. Um, yeah, so there must be something in the water. Uh, there seems to be a lot of good things coming out of Cast Magner. Um, also, um, Will Collins, who it was. That chap um, no- nominated for Oscars. You have Oscar nominees and everything coming out of it. Yeah, exactly. You're full-time professionals, aren't you? So it's one of those Olympic sports where the participants are professionals. Yeah, exactly. This is um, this is what we make a living from. Um, you know, it's not just, you know, obviously the prize money is good and it's very hard to win. But also, you know, I, I in America, I have a business um, with my wife, Ali, and we train and we uh, have borders. Um, and then we also sell horses to, to keep our heads above water um, and we're lucky to be doing what we love you know how long have you been based in Florida um, around 17 years I have a wife and three kids and uh, Florida for sure is our home um, our home there and their home but uh, I'll always be a, a, a Castle Magnum man uh, in my heart talk to me about the preparations for Japan um, <laughs> apart from the fact that you probably should have been going there last year it's been an eventful time to get ready for it uh, for sure, yeah. Um, you know, with the pandemic, it's very. We were very unsure. Was it even going to happen? Um, probably suited me. As in a year ago, I'm not sure I would have been making the squad. Where my horse has got a year older and more experienced, and um, it's probably helped um, for that horse to be ready for it. So, um, but there's a lot of preparation involved. The horses. Um, we're competing this week at a show in um, Rotterdam, and that'll be um, that horse's last last show before there. And then they go into quarantine in Aachen uh, for a week before the horses travel. And then when they travel, like for a week as well before they compete. So um, between everything, it's going to take uh, three weeks by the time everything is done. You know, so Tran- transporting horses must be. Uh difficult to say the least yeah of course yeah um they fly in a container that's divided into two or three st- uh, stalls um obviously my yeah i think this it's very common now horses are, are well used to it because shows are shows are all over the world so um it's 
you know, it's like us getting on the plane and more, um, most of them travel very well. Hmm. Um, you might get a nervous traveler and then that's a little bit harder, but uh, luckily my horses are well used to it at this point. And would people travel with them to take care of them or? Yeah, yeah. So uh, normally a groom uh, will travel with them and obviously make sure to look after in case something goes wrong. Now, that's the horse looked after. What about yourself? Will you have people with you or do you have to go on your own because of COVID? Um, only essential staff are, are, um, are allowed to go. So actually none of my family can go this time. So, mm. so I will be, you know, I'll obviously will be with the team, um, but I, I won't have any other people there. That'll be difficult enough. Isn't, isn't it? I mean, apart from missing them, you know, should you do well, which you're all hopeful that you will, you'd love to have them there to celebrate. Ah, of course, of course. You know, this is what it's all about. You know, my parents, um, my parents, they've followed followed me around since I've all my career. So, they, I'm sure they nearly like to be there before I was. So, uh, you know, so it, that's what it's all about. Really, is for your your family and your team that you can get there and hopefully get to compete and 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 do well. So it's. Um, you know, it's it's hard without them, but ho- hopefully, hopefully, come France, maybe we'll be involved again, and we can all enjoy that one. Are you worried about the COVID situation as you prepare to travel? Personally, not really. Um, uh, uh, you know, uh, we've been all vaccinated in America, and. L- I've been traveling a bit already and, um, you know, we, we've luckily we've in, especially in America, we've sort of moved on and we've been busy. So, mm. um, you know, hopefully, hopefully I don't get, get infected. Obviously that could uh, really put. Will you be tested frequently? You will. Yeah. 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 We're tested. Anyway, I'm getting tested frequently because obviously I'm flying back and forth. And, um, so I've been tested a lot recently um, and then uh, before we go like as we speak you're in Belgium so presumably you were tested before you left America you'll be tested how often will you be tested now in the couple of days or however long you're there yeah so um, obviously I just got tested two days ago then before I fly back to America I'll have to get tested again and then as far as I know I think we're it's every week we have to get tested um, up until the Olympics you get tested before we get on the plane um, or two days before it and then when we arrive there as well and uh, I'm not sure how much testing they do out there then I suppose even being fully vaccinated you'll still be that little bit nervous in case the test would show anything up yeah of course because you can still obviously test positive and if you test positive it's you know it's it's over then curtains yeah yeah you know so you know we have to be careful wearing our masks and and being you know socially hmm. careful but you know hopefully it works out Assuming that all goes to plan, when will we first get to see you in action? So, the, the, the at the moment, I'm I'm the traveling reserve. So, so the four people go, and uh, three compete in the individual, and then it's uh, up to the chef to keep if he wants to use me or not for the team event. So, at the moment, um, I'll be on site, but I don't know a hundred percent for sure if I'm competing or not. Oh, when will you know that? Not till not till out there, really. Not till let's say maybe after the individual goes, or you know that's a that's a decision done by the chef to keep. So um, you could find yourself traveling out there and and not get on the horse at all. Yeah, well, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm sure you don't want that to happen. Just before I no. let you go, Shane, 
we you based in Florida, it's good to get to ask you this question. We hear every day that oh, Florida's completely back to normal. It's like COVID never existed. Is that true? Um, not yeah, a little bit. You know, you still go to when you go to restaurants. Um, you have to wear a mask, or even not just Florida. We're in Kentucky in um, in the summer, and we're there at the moment. And you, it's in the last month, it's got very relaxed. Mm. Um, it's it's not as you know. Obviously, I've been in Europe, and you see, uh, I've been in France and in Holland and Belgium. You see, you know, everyone wearing their masks, mm. and that was definitely the case in America till up till uh, March, mm. March, or April time. But now, in the last month, you. Uh, you don't see as many masks. Um, obviously, when you're flying, you still have to wear a mask. Mm. Um, in the airports, you have to wear a mask. But in, in general, it is definitely um, closer back to normal, especially in the last month. Of all the things that you've achieved in, in your sport, is being an Olympian, is, is that, I'm, I'm asking this of every athlete that, that, that I get to talk to that's going, is there something particularly special about being able to say, I am an Olympian? I think that's what we all, when we start this, uh, that's what we all dream about doing. Um, but if, if if being an Olympian and I get to complete a couple of Olympics or something and I never won a medal, um, you know, we won the European, uh, European gold medal in 2017, um, I would take the medal over, over the Olympics unless I won an Olympic medal. Yeah, you're, you're anxious to get on that horse, aren't you, young man? Of course, of course. But, uh, you, you know, it's about, it's, you know, it's about competing and winning. You know, it's, it's not just about taking part, you know. So yeah, hopefully our, our time will come and hopefully we can uh, deliver when it does come. Well, we wish you luck when it does. The whole of Cork will be cheering on. Yeah, exactly. Thank you. Shane, thanks very much for your time. Take care. No problem. Thank you. Thanks for taking your time. Shane Sweetnam of Castle Magna uh, heading off to the show jumping event at the Olympics. Not guaranteed to be riding yet. He has to be selected, but he is the travelling reserve. They have three active in the team and then there's a fourth reserve who falls in if required. That's his gig uh, this year. But thrilled to be going there nonetheless. I spoke to him over the weekend. He was in Belgium for for a show jumping event. A quick mention for all the nice staff. Apparently they're doing a mighty job down there. I got vaccinated in my GPs, so I haven't been into the City Hall Vaccination Centre. But they are listening to us this morning to the opinion line in the Vaccination Centre in City Hall. And they have us on in the place where you go to sit and wait for your 15 minutes so that you don't explode or anything like that after your vaccine. I'm joking. They are sitting there. They have us playing in that waiting area after the vaccines are given out. So good morning to everybody and keep up the great work, the staff down there. We were talking to Dr. Nula O'Connor. She was saying, look, the general the general feeling is that, yes, you would be delaying it for two weeks just for the sake of safety, as it were. Here's a strange one, though. It's unusual to hear Sam McConkey saying something like this. He said... Um, Professor Sam Conkey from the Royal College of Surgeons, he has said that a cautious reopening should go ahead on July the 5th. And he also said there needs to be a challenging public debate about what is an acceptable risk. I wonder what he means by that, but that's unusual to think of um, 
Sam McConkey would not normally be someone who would be saying, okay, go ahead. He would be one of the more cautious people out there, I would have said, from the very start of this. 1850-715-996. Very briefly, just to go to Sam Fitzgibbon before we finish today, uh, because there's a huge club, and it's a sprung from nothing, called Paddle, Paddle the Ownabwe. It began during lockdown, and it is now a huge operation, huge group. 750 people are now paddling regularly, kayaks and other such tiny craft. Sam Fitzgibbon, good morning. Morning, PJ, how are you? Good, this is, just very briefly, this was a, an idea during lockdown. Did you ever think, did, did the organisers ever think 750 people would be regularly taking part? <laughs> not a chance, to be honest. Um, like, not in such a short amount of time anyway, because it started up, the start of this year. Uh, during the lockdowns, kind of, I think it was just as the winter months were were easing, and do you know what? I think once people saw a few kayaks on the water, it started up down in uh, Carrigaline. Uh, yeah. It would have been uh, Kevin Joyce would have started it. Um, I, I think once a few kayaks were spotted on the water, people kind of got a bit of a got a bit excited about it, and uh, more people ended up buying kayaks. Yeah. I think the Facebook group got spread around a bit and what was it? I think it was about two weeks. Yeah. There was a couple hundred and then it was uh, between one and two months there was about four, 400, maybe 450. Yeah. 750 yeah. members now and you go yeah. all over the place. Yeah, just at the weekend there now. Um, well, Saturday, there was a few of us in the only week. Sunday then I was out with a few from the group at Black Line. Uh, lockdowns of these now so we can venture a bit further afield <laughs> still yeah. in Cork for that one but, uh, excellent excellent yeah. now tell me briefly before I let you go about Heron Help what's that? oh yeah Heron Help was something I just I was bored during lockdown when I started up uh, it's like a startup non-profit basically and it's just to find extra help to to clean up around the coastlines and shorelines and then it's to showcase good work being done too with the likes of what's collected so there's one uh, marine biologist there that was uh, was featured on the page and his plans to link up more it's just waiting for restrictions to ease enough as well uh, do you have a facebook page where people can look at look look it up and stuff yeah yeah it's uh heron on facebook on instagram it's just heron health as well okay i'm going to leave it sam because i'm out of time with heron help and that huge group 750 members thank you that's sam fitzgibbon right our winner with free munch mondays joanne smith from frankfield you're the winner with free munch monday you're heading off to the radisson courtesy of quarks 96 fm that's it slammed up against the clock sorry to the comments that didn't get with Ian Ornan just after nine. Can we just talk? The Opinion Line on Cork's 96FM. With Dairy Made Premium Spread. 100% natural and made in Cork using West Cork Cream. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health 
Right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.